Welcome to the Your Inner Babe podcast, Set That Bitch Free. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting with the beautiful Hallie. So it's funny, your last name. So pronounce it for me because I don't want to butcher it. Keski. Kester. Kester. See, like I wouldn't have said that. So thank you for that. <laughs> but you're you're so inspiring in and out of the red room. You're one of those instructors that, you know, I, I not only trust to take care of my body when I'm in the class, but I know without fail, I will leave with a clear mind because you're just so motivating. Like you have such a no bullshit mindset, which I so admire. And I was thinking back to exhale when I used to take your bar class and I don't even think we'd have even spoke at this point, but I would say to my best friend who introduced me to your class, like, wow, she is actually goals, just instructor crush to the max, but you've just, you've always, always, always been so real and so wise. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here with me. Thank you for that. That was so kind. And I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so excited. And I remember you from those exhale days, girl. I do. (laughs) Oh yeah, those those shaking moments. So I love asking people this. It's how I start all the interviews. I love to start with what's going well. It's actually how I start sessions too with clients, just because we are so damn focused and programmed to fixate on everything that's not going well and all that we should be doing and we minimize like all the good shit. So I would love if you could give me a few things that are currently going well for you or have gone well within the last week. So when I got your email and you kind of prefaced this question, I was thinking like, this is something I've been really trying to do lately. Um, I read this in one of my many you know, books that I kind of pick up here and there when I need a little guidance and it was said, what is not wrong? So I just thought that was so funny. Like the universe totally put you and that question in front of me for a reason. And so like three things that are going so good. Well, obviously my cute little son, Arthur, he's the best. He's so challenging, but teaches me so many things every day. And he's so fucking funny, Jacqueline. He has like the best intuition. He has great comedic timing and he's just like full of joy. He's like the best gift on a crappy day. That's the kind of kid you want in your house. That's the kind of kid you want around you. Obviously I'm a little biased because I think he's so awesome. I'm his mother. What can I say? So obviously my son is my son. My family in general is just so good. That's one thing my husband and I talk about all the time is like, we are so rich with love in our house and you know, not everybody can say that. And that's so unfortunate. But we always reference back to like when he was first born, you know, you're so tired, you're so stressed, you're kind of broke because you're paying for all this new stuff. You're like, don't know what the hell you're doing. But we always used to just like used to say, like, at least we're so rich at home. And so every time like a a girlfriend always says to me, like, well, I, I like this guy, but he doesn't have a great job. Or like, I don't know if I should take this position. I like it, but it's not the best pay. I'm like, but will it fill you up and make you rich inside? And so that's one thing that my family gives me that I find so much value in. So that's obviously one big thing that's going well and hopefully it will continue forever. But obviously my work, I love my work. And right now it's feeling just right. I don't know how to describe it outside of that. Obviously I I work at Barry's Bootcamp, work in fitness. I'm a fitness trainer, but I also call myself a motivator. That's how I choose to train people. And I feel like, my voice is very 
clearer or getting clearer. And the clients there and the clients that I see every day bring me so much joy. And that's just, that's something that's going well. And so when you have a happy house and then you have a happy work environment, there's not really too much in between that can kind of pull those down. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's really, those are two good things. And the other thing that's good is the weather. Mm-hmm. The sun, the sun is out and that's what's going good. I always think like the smallest things can be like the best thing of your day. And if you put some energy towards them, it can actually change a shitty one into a great one. And I don't know about you, but the winter was really long and kind of dark and scary towards the end there, like dark and twisty, a little like Meredith Grey-ish. So I'm so (laughs) happy to have just some light, you know, inside of myself and everybody. I totally agree. And I honestly love that you ended with that because I always say, like, I don't care how big or how small, like the weather is so impactful on all of us and our moods and everything. And like, fuck yeah, it's going well. It's summer. Yes. Finally. Yes. So thank you for those. Those are amazing. And I will ask, I will ask way more about art in a minute. Don't, don't you worry. But I want to start with like a little bit of a day in the life of Holly, like your morning routine or your personal workout routine or evening routine, um, acts of self-care or mindfulness practices, whatever. But I'd love to like get a little insight on you personally. Yeah. So my, my, if we were to just like take it from the day, from the start, I wake up very, very early. Some of my wake up calls are at like 3.30, almost all of my days that I teach either start at five, six, or seven. So I am up and getting myself ready in the process of that. I'm always making coffee, always. And it's kind of funny. As I'm getting ready, I have my computer open and I sit on my bathroom floor with my cup of coffee and just kind of like stare at my program that I'm about to teach. So it's like in my head, not on the couch. I don't sit somewhere comfy. I literally sit on my bathroom floor I don't know how or why that's become a thing, but it is my thing. Just kind of like a way to be alone that I know I won't bug anybody that's silent still in my house. So I kind of start there. And then I I head to Barry's. I teach class. And then I usually take class for the moms on this podcast or maybe soon to be or those that caretake know that your time is so valuable. So when I'm your alone time, I should say is so valuable. So after I teach one or two classes, I generally take one right away. And that is my workout regimen, Barry's, period, end of story. I'm a pretty active person. If I'm not at Barry's, I'm like out walking around. Obviously, I'm playing with my kid. Every now and then I'll jump into another class, but Arthur and Barry's really keeps me pretty, pretty packed. So I utilize my workouts either before, in the middle, or after my classes. And it's effective. So duh, I'm going to stay there and work out. It works. So that's kind of what I do when it comes to like work and my workouts. I usually come home and that's where I tag team my husband, Dan. Dan goes to work from afternoon until evening. So he leaves around noon and doesn't come home until after I'm asleep. So the reason I'm so effective with that first half of my day is because I know I'm about to come home and I have limited time by myself where I can sit and do things because Arthur is so active. So I take Dan out and then I really spend my afternoons. If I'm not teaching, there's one evening I teach a week, but I spend my afternoons with Arthur 
we play, we cook, we clean. I love to clean. The kid knows how to vacuum. And I find therapy in all of that. It's very calming for me. My house is never messy. And if it is, someone call for help. But <laughs> that's pretty much my day. It, we don't do a lot of going out. We don't do a lot of things like that. A lot of vacationing. I wish we could do more and we should do more, but it's pretty regimented. It just kind of keeps us all on track. No, it's funny you say that about your bathroom floor because I love my bathroom See? floor. There's something about a bathroom like, floor. I don't know what it is. Truly. like I'll lay there with Mercer and, and Daniel will find us and be like, what's <laughs> up? And I'm like, I don't know. I just like it here. I just like it in here. I, I, I don't, something about it. I don't know, but I, I can totally relate to that. But Okay, we gotta. I gotta talk more about art, and I want to honestly talk about the pastries that <laughs> your husband Dan makes. Like, come on, he's edible. I just made Daniel last night. Actually, we were laying in bed, and I made him pause the TV to watch the story that you posted of him, like bouncing in his crib. I was cracking up. That is my son in a nutshell. I don't know since the day he started crawling or walking. So he started walking at eleven months. But it's so interesting because everybody's like, oh, that's so early. That's so advanced, which is so funny when people say things like that. And I can't dog anybody on it because I feel things like that as a mom. You're so like, oh, my kid's so perfect, you know, like whatever. And like, it's just a weird thing that I never thought I'd say, think or do, but it's happened. But early on, he had a hard time. So Arthur was born early and was in the NICU and in the pediatric unit for about a week after his birth. And he was very teeny tiny and he saw many doctors. And after the fact, he had more doctors than me. He, like Arthur has a neurologist. He has a cardiologist like crazy. We don't see them anymore, thank God. But so he was kind of late to the game and a little bit um, slow when it came to movement development specifically. He wasn't rolling over and he had to wear a helmet because he wasn't rolling over. His head was flat, you know, nothing like obviously life altering. There was no epic disabilities with anything, but it was just like, you know, physical developments. And then suddenly we got him to roll over. We put him in PT, two different kinds of therapy and he rolled over. And then within like a good month and a half, he was crawling and then sitting up and then suddenly walking to the point that Dan and I were like, what the fuck? We didn't do any baby perfect, like nothing. So he kind of went from zero to 60 really quick. And my mom calls him a sensory seeker, a thrill seeker. She's like a lot of children, not most, because obviously my mother's a child psychologist, by the way, with a lot of kids when they hear or see something that's kind of a sensory overload, a loud noise, a bright color or something impactful when it comes to touch, they tend to first flight before they, you know, they tend to turn away or move away and observe before they experience. Whereas Arthur is like, let me at it. So with Arthur, once he started walking, we could never hold, like we could never keep up, which is great, but also so exhausting. But so that video you saw on Instagram of him jumping in his crib and he was running from side to side, making car noises this is what he was doing. Mm -hmm. That's him. Always active, always curious. He makes incredible funny faces. He's talking. He loves to eat. So he's definitely my kid. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I know you were a dancer, so you were a performer. Like, do you think he'll be 
do you think he has that in him? I mean, I yeah. kind of feel like he does just by everything that I've watched of him. I feel like he is like a little performer in the making. Absolutely. So um, fun fact is I, when I was in school for dancing, I had my BFA. My husband was getting his BFA in acting. So that's where we met was in college. So before Dan became Dan the Baker, he was Dan the actor and was a stage performer. And I met Dan doing um, West Side Story in college. He played Baby John, who is obviously one of the Jets. And I was, I played Diesel's girlfriend because, you know, the dancers didn't get <laughs> names. And that's where we met. And so Dan is just as animated and outgoing, if not more than I am. So the kid is around it all the time. So it doesn't surprise me. Can't wait to see where that goes. I mean, that's unbelievable. He's a light. I, we all see, I mean, haven't met him in real life, but I would love, I feel like I would meet him and feel like he's a celebrity. Like I need to just like see his face in real life. So actually take me up on that because my Dan would love it. But how did you get into fitness? I mean, like when you were younger, what did you imagine your life to look like? You know, I personally thought I would be on Broadway. I'm similar to your husband then, but that's not the case. And I would just love to hear where you thought you'd be versus, you know, where you are now. Yeah. So it's funny growing up, I wanted to be, which is, this is already bizarre for a kid. I wanted to be like Judy Garland. (laughs) My favorite movie growing up was Meet Me in St. Louis. I don't know why, but I just loved it. I loved her. Now we all know after the fact that she had her own issues, but something with about her in that movie and the music just spoke to me. So I've always been in love with musicals. So it's funny you say that. Obviously you can sing probably a hundred times better than me. I don't even think I could carry a tune anymore with how much I scream into a microphone, but I, I wanted to be on Broadway. So I wanted to be more of a dancer than a, you know, obviously being the star is always the best, but I was coming from the dancer's perspective versus the singer's perspective. So I danced as a kid my whole life and I wanted to do that. And as I got older, it's as I worked more into the creative side of it versus the physical side of it in college, like we, you learn choreography, composition, movement studies, all that, all that stuff. I was thinking like, you know, I really, in addition to performing, I love being on a stage. It's the one thing that has like actually lit me to my core is performing. I don't know how it's like, obviously there's other joys in my life, but that's the one place I always feel like my truest self is on a stage. And so being on a microphone at Barry's Bootcamp gives me a similar feeling, but I then thought, you know, maybe I'll be a producer. Maybe I'll produce dance and film because I started to really appreciate every aspect of what goes into a production. So I thought about wanting to do that. And then I got a glimpse of, you know, some professional dance work. It wasn't a bunch, but some of it was really epic. Some of it was small. Some of it was local. Some of it was um, based around touring. And I realized kind of, you know, as much joy as performing gives me, it also gives me just as much pain when it comes to the physical demands and a lot of times self-demands of what that is and what that means. And I'm sure anybody who's been in a performing art or specifically dance can relate to that when it comes to body image and things like that. So I started to venture into fitness, like Zumba essentially, and like We call that dance fitness in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is where I'm from. And then when I moved to Chicago, I followed Dan here. I started taking class at Exhale and I really loved it because the teachers were trained dancers. So they spoke my language 
And so I trusted their teaching styles. And from that point is when I started my fitness career here. So it started earlier on in a more casual way. And then it transitioned to being my full-time job about eight years ago here at Chicago. Um, Well, you're amazing at it. And I'm going to say it on here. I'm signed up for the Broadway class on Sunday, which is my dream class year 1030. And I'm saying it on here, meaning it's holding me accountable, which is something we'll dive into in a bit. But I'm so excited. Like that is my dream class. And I actually didn't know that Broadway was your dream too. So that's amazing. And that makes sense to me then why you would have these classes dance wise, because you have that background. Do you think that that influences the music that you pick for your classes as well? Yeah. I don't know if I have a specific taste of music when people ask me that. The one thing I do know is, sorry guys, I'm not a big country fan. Give me Johnny Cash all day, but anything new, I just can't. I just can't do. I don't know why. But when it comes to what I like, it's essentially like, does it make me want to move? Does it make me want to dance? Does it invoke something emotionally or physically from me? And whether it be something something so silly like the Ying Yang twins, like something that made me like dance my ass off in high school, you know, at parties, or is it I use the theme song to Little Miss Sunshine this morning for my stretch because that makes me want to move my body. So that's kind of how I pick my music. And then obviously when it comes to remixes, the way they're structured, when it comes to the bridges of songs, the choruses of songs is where beats tend to change. They get more intense. That is really beneficial when you're teaching in 30 and 60 second markers in a room, aka a 30 second sprint suddenly lands on the quote unquote beat drop of a song. It's really impactful, right? So it drives, it is essentially choreography, you know? So it's me transitioning my art form from creating and doing dance to creating and doing fitness in a performance aspect, I guess. I love that. And that's obviously why I'm drawn to your classes. Makes so much sense. I mean, can you pick a favorite body part to work out? I kind of feel like that's maybe asking a recipe developer to pick a favorite recipe. So sorry if that's not fair, but like, do you have something specific that you're like, oh yeah, like ass and abs day, that's my day or like anything like that? Yeah. Ass and abs day, which is Thursday is my day. And I don't know if it's specifically that I like training one muscle group over another, but those muscle groups I'm specifically more passionate about because there's one, a lack of knowledge around them. And two, there's a lot of bullshit on how to train them. A lot of people think their six pack is like all that's there. And it's just so not same with your butt. Like they don't realize like you have multiple muscle groups in your butt. And in order to get those to look and function properly, you have to work them and understand them properly. So it's been really fun bringing my knowledge of that when it comes to anatomy into a room to teach. I don't know. And as a dancer, your core provides you balance. You know, as a runner, your core provide your core and your glutes provide you stabilization. As a human, they provide you health and support as you grow older. You know, as a mom, they provide you support and room to grow a baby. And then you have to kind of learn how to reuse them after the fact. So you can function without your legs, right? You can live without them. You can live without your limbs, but you essentially cannot live without the trunk of your body, the organs inside of it, and what it does to support 
your extremities. So I see so much value. I know that's like really deep for like, let's train abs and ass day. Like, but Mm -mm. I think there's a lot of value when it comes to the center of your body, the trunk, the powerhouse. There's a reason that it's there. And so it should be taken care of. Yeah. And no, that's why I love your classes and why I trust you with my body. And I know that that's like a general consensus is, you know what the fuck you're talking about and it's no bullshit. And you are truly so inspiring. You, you lay down the law in that red room and on Instagram story. I mean, when it comes to accountability and showing up for yourself, but I want to go back even to the beginning, because that makes me think, you know, I want to talk more about just being a dancer and how that affected your mental mind and your journey to health and wellness. Like, how do you show up for yourself or how have you shown up for yourself over the years? You know, you touched a bit on how being a dancer affected your mental mind, but what was the battle with yourself when it came to being a dancer and body image and all of that? So, you know, it's so funny. So I just, TMI, but I guess like I'm a human, just like everybody else. So I just started going back to therapy just, you know, to make sure I have all my ducks in a row. And I was talking to her, PSA, everybody should see a therapist, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say TMI, no, no, no. Yeah, Uh, but I'm an open book. Like, you want to know, let's talk about it. Um, I was talking to her about, you know, dance and what it did. And when it goes to my long-term struggle now, I've nobody's ever healed, I think, of anything you just kind of see the other side of it. You learn tools and you have different perspectives. But in looking back when I was young, like as little as nine, I don't see anything prior to that. But I know it's like nine was when I started dancing competitively and was when I started to notice my body, which is crazy. You know, like my, um, I don't want to say my generation. It's not like I'm an old lady. I'm 32. And so back in the day, teachers could still yell at you. Like it wasn't a thing. Like there was no, no talk really about like bullying or being mistreated. Like your dance teachers or your dance teachers, you didn't talk, especially your ballet mistress. Um, you listened, they gave you adjustments, which obviously are so valuable and I would never take that away. But like, I remember my ballet teacher telling me to suck in my breakfast. And that was like the first time I thought like, food and the, what my body looked like correlated. And I remember doing a leap across the floor. And so, and my teacher saying like, Oh, you know, you really do get much higher when you weigh less, you know, and I was like nine, 10, 11 years old. And that has major impact because when that's your dream, you have no other side of anything else. You're searching for ways to make it happen, even that young. And so I took that into account right away. And so that affected things. You know, I used to think about it all the time. What does it look like in a mirror? And when you're dancing, you're always in a mirror as a really amazing tool for alignment and uh, mastering movement, but also as a way to hyper and overanalyze what is reflected back at you. So that was carried with me through my entire dance career, middle school, which is where it was crazy heavy and how horrible that's like you're in puberty. Everything's changing. And a lot of it is, most of it is kind of beyond your control. And then it, you know, took with me through high school and into my college life and there and after. So whereas like my behavior isn't as disordered and 
I won't define it as any specific eating disorder, but it's like, well, if I did this this day, then I work out every day for two hours a day and don't eat or, you know, like that disordered behavior is no longer with me, but it has definitely taken a toll on me. And that's why I think I got injured is what happened. I was auditioning for the Lyric and I like busted my ankle up and I was probably 20, 29. And so obviously I needed to heal and I just never went back. And I still think about it. I still call myself a dancer, which I think sometimes I'm a fraud, but I don't think I'm done with that aspect, whether it be dancing or performing in some manner, but I did need to step away from it. And I didn't realize until after the fact how much it really had an effect on my body image, how I take care of my body or was taking care of my body. And also my ability to have a voice for myself when you have people of authority talking to you specific ways you tend to become a yes person or you don't trust your own judgment. You know, like your instincts don't tend to be at the forefront. So you're not really an advocate for yourself. You don't have accountability. There it is. You're not holding yourself accountable to what your dreams truly are. You're holding yourself accountable to what this person thinks you should be or what you are. You know, you mentioned restrictive eating and all of that. And I've talked a bunch on here about how it's never about the food, but for someone who lives, I mean, the fitness lifestyle now, when you're married to a baker, I mean, how do you find that balance today when it comes to a healthy mind and a healthy body, especially like all over social media, we see like count your macros, do X amount of cardio, blah, blah, blah. What's your take on that? It's so funny. Of course, like, you know, I knew I would always work in an environment that had to do with the body. The body's intriguing to me, but it also can be triggering for me. And so it's obviously, you know, practicing these things of um, self-care. So like seeing a therapist, talking to a therapist, I have a really good relationship with my husband. And like, we talk about these things and with my girlfriend, we talk about these things. And I think understanding the body from a biological standpoint, a kinesthetic standpoint, I remember I was young. I didn't know about any of that stuff. It was just like, well, if I don't eat, I'll be thin you know, and like, that's not always the case. Or like, if I overwork out, I'll be skinny, I'll be strong, I'll look strong. And like, that's not always the case. So I think the more educated I became, the more interested I became in the fitness aspect of it. Like, well, no, if you train and nurture your body and give it healthy things and treat it well and let it repair, you will get the results you want. And so I think that helped me on my path to having a little bit more generosity for my body. Now it's still present. I'm a human being. I open Instagram and see people in my industry who look outstanding, amazing, so fit, so strong. You know, I mean, look at my teammates, look at the other people on my roster with me, like, God, are they gorgeous and so smart and so fit, you know? And so I think that's what we all experience on Instagram too, is like the, I want that. How do I get that? I don't know how to get that. I'm never going to look like that. God, I suck. You know, it goes through that like weird spiral. So it is much like everything nowadays with that Instagram social media life is like, you have to be able to have perspective with it and step away from it and take a moment and go back and truly ask yourself, like, is this person, is this way giving me value? 
And if not, you have to go away. You have, you have to leave it or you'll go crazy. So when it comes to like nutrition and stuff with my, with me and my family, I have no allergies to food. So I don't feel the desire to restrict them. I know with my background, when I restrict food or when I tell myself I can't have something, I either go to one extreme or the other, then I have it all the time or I don't have anything at all. So I come from a life of balance and with that comes fluctuation, you know, and you kind of have to accept that. I love dessert. If someone handed me like a box of Fruit Loops, a cake and cookie dough, I could live. Like I would never have to leave my house. I would never ask for a salad. Like it would go down the hatch quick and I would be so happy. And my husband's specialty is bread. We eat bread. We eat gluten. We call ourselves pro-gluten in this house and we enjoy it. That's the thing. It brings us joy. It doesn't bring us sadness. And so that's kind of how I eat. Now there's so, you guys, let me, Jack, like, let me be clear. If I'm getting ready for a photo shoot or an event, obviously I don't eat the cookie dough, the cake and the bowl of cereal. You know, like I monitor, I make sure I eat my greens and I eat my vegetables and I eat my lean protein and you see results from that. You feel your body that way. Your muscles repair. Like if you're training hard, you have to train that way with your diet and your, I don't even like to call it diet. I call it like your nutrition because to me, dieting is a funky word. So in my life, in my world, now I know my friends and I have friends who are so on top of their nutrition and like they find so much joy in the science behind it all and the the detail of it. And that's so cool. I can't do that. I've never been able to do it well. And so instead of beating myself up about it, I choose to embrace my way and it works for me. Yeah. I mean, and there's not one way for anybody. There's no one way. Yeah. There is no one size fits all when it comes to a training program, when it comes to a a diet or a nutrition plan. And it stems down to like who you were born as, your genetics, your age, your gender, your, you know, like, have you been ill? Does illness run in your family? You know, there's so many things that contribute to how food affects your body. So I would suggest, or I would give the advice to people of like, obviously listen and learn and hear, but maybe seek a professional when it comes to what's right for you. Yeah. Because, you know, I was talking to a client yesterday, we were talking about how you go on Instagram and you see so-and-so is doing this and then so-and-so is doing that. And then there's this, and then there's that. And it's like, you end up with wellness. Well, I'm calling it wellness fatigue or like health fatigue. You don't even know what the hell works for you anymore because you're trying on all these different costumes or ways of taking care of yourself. And at the end of the day, we are our best self-expert. We know ourselves the best. We see how our bodies respond and we just kind of stop listening, you know, because we end up outsourcing instead of connecting to ourselves and, and what works for us. So, you know, I'm always curious about, you know, like the balance and how you come to that on your own and where that came from and how it's developed and all of that. But like with pregnancy, that's a question I have. How was that mentally and physically? I mean, it's such a gift, but I'll say it again. I mean, I said it before, but I'm personally like, I'm afraid of how, because I battled with myself for so long, there is a part of me that is afraid that it would bring up all this shit that I thought I have put to rest. But you, I mean, you never know how the mind works. Mm -hmm. Pregnancy is 
so interesting. It's so bizarre. Sometimes it sucks and sometimes it's outstanding. Now I'm a person who has a bizarre obsession with pregnancy and labor and delivery. I find it to be like the most fascinating thing on the planet. I'm wildly obsessed. Like if one of our pregnant clients went to labor in the red room, I would be like in heaven. <laughs> Truly. I'd be like, yes, we're delivering this baby. Everybody squat hold. I got the kid. Like that's how it would go. So when I first got pregnant, it was like very exciting. And then my body started changing, which duh. And it was really hard, really hard. I went through this like crazy mood hormonal imbalancement issue. And it wasn't until after the fact, going back and learning about it all biologically that I realized what was really happening to my body. So now I can appreciate and hopefully I'll appreciate it more if I ever do it again. And I can only speak for myself here, but when you're first pregnant and you know, and nobody else does, and you're gaining a little bit of weight, you kind of just feel like bloated and like chubby and like your pants don't really fit right, but like nobody can tell. Like you feel kind of weird and nobody would be able to call it out on the street, but you're like, oh my God, my boobs are so huge. My belly's hanging over my pants. Like I'm such an asshole to people. Like you feel like you're crazy and nobody else can tell. You know, so once you, once the belly starts to pop a little bit and everything kind of evens out, you feel a little bit better because you're like, oh, I see it. You know, we have this weird idea of what pregnancy is from society and from people being afraid of talking about it. So it isn't really until you're inside of it or you have someone who's truly, truly honest, talk to you about it, that you're like, oh, okay. Like I remember I was at Barry's boot camp as a client before I started training there and my husband was behind me. We were doing squats and I was like looking in the mirror and I turned around. I was like, my ass is huge. <laughs> and he was like, shut up. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God. Like I couldn't get my pants over my knees at like week seven. So like I was like in it. So I remember talking to my OB about it and having and talking to my mom about it. Again, my mom's a psychologist and has had three babies. And the idea, one, of reaching out for help, if you really feel low and blue, there's so much good that's happening in your body that if, like we said at the beginning, what's the good? If you're only focusing on the bad, you're missing out on something that is truly exceptional, seek help. Ask your OB for a therapist if she has a recommendation for it or return to your current therapist or talk, to about, talk about it to your current doctor just having the conversation because you feel kind of weird. You're like, but this is supposed to be so, so beautiful and I should be so honored that like my body can give, you know, like you go through these weird back and forth struggles with yourself. Like the second you can like word vomit it out, you feel a little bit better about it. And you realize you're not alone. Talk to any other woman that's had a baby or is pregnant and they'll be like, oh, please, honey. Like, yeah, you're fine. Like they'll give you that pat on the back. So obviously just like any issue, reach out, you know, like don't hold it in. All it's going to do is fester and turn into something shitty and dark, you know? But when it comes to nutrition, obviously you want to feed your body and your baby well. But I found that that was like so stressful for me, right? Like I went right back to that. Well, I don't feel good. So all I want to do, like truly Jack, all I ate for the first like six weeks was like Quaker oat squares, pretzels and toast. Because anything else, one, I didn't want to eat, and two, made me feel kind of nauseous. So I went to the store once. I was like, Dan, I'm just going to walk to Jewel and like 
grab something for dinner. And I came back with like a box of wheat thins, a box of cereal, like three bagels from the bakery. And Dan was like, uh, what am I supposed to do with this? I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to eat it. And I like bit his head off because he, you know, I was like, don't judge me. And in the second and third trimester, when you start, when things start to kind of regulate a little bit and your body's getting more used to it, those things tend to ease. Now, obviously I have friends who have very different experiences, so it's somewhat individual, but it's a journey. My biggest advice is to like, do what you want, eat what you want and enjoy the ride. There's nothing you can do, you know, like you can't change it. I mean, obviously you can change it. That is an option that is a great thing that every woman has, but the idea is like, you're not going to lose weight. You're not going to build a six pack right now. So don't try. Your idea should be keeping your body healthy and strong, keeping your baby healthy and strong. And then we can approach it after the baby's gone because it is temporary. The baby's not going to live in there forever. You're not going to have a big belly forever. It lasts maximum, you know, I mean, 41 ish weeks. And then it goes away and then your body has to heal after. It's a major thing. So you have to almost treat it like an athletic event. Like you have to prepare for it, go through it, recover from it. Self-compassion and presence and accountability. Yes. So speaking of accountability, let's spit some truth when it comes to this topic. Your Insta stories on accountability were the exact reason I wanted to get you on here. I just, I watched them and I was like, damn. This voice, like, gotta have it, needs to be heard. But um, even if you hate talking on stories, you made an impact. So keep doing it. But obviously, accountability, it's the actual fact of being accountable or responsible, like physically and mentally in a space, or I guess when it comes to workout. But what does accountability mean to you? What do the listeners need to know? Accountability doesn't happen by chance, it's something that has to be implemented. Give me something. Those of you that know me or those of you that take my class know that I don't bullshit. I speak pretty blunt and clear. One of my biggest strengths in addition to being blunt and clear is also being vulnerable. So when it comes to accountability, it stems from my childhood. It comes from dance. Like you don't practice, you don't get better. You don't get better. You don't move on into the next level. You don't get to the next level. You're, you know, so on and so forth. And I've carried that with me. So whereas it has been a fault of mine. It's also, in my opinion, one of my biggest strengths is like you do as you say you're going to do. And if you don't, then you have to hold yourself accountable to the repercussions of it. So either be accountable and do it or make the choice because it's a choice to not do it and be okay with it. This is the first time in my life I haven't been the boss for a long time. And it brings me back to this time where I was working with a teacher and she called me or she, I should say she called the studio that I was at cause I was working and said, I'm not coming in tonight. I don't feel well an hour prior to her start time. And, you know, they opened the door and wrote me a note and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And we couldn't find a sub. We had to cancel the class, whatever. So be it. That's it. Let's move on. And I got a scathing email that said I was punishing her for being ill. And it was like, I'm so sorry you're sick and not feeling well, of course. Like, oh my gosh. But let me be clear. You didn't show up for work. And in states of emergency, in cases of emergency, 
you have to be okay with the idea that the outcome might be a little messy, but you made that choice. So you have to hold accountability for your actions. I'm not punishing, like I had to give her a verbal warning. And that's the thing I think that that's what made her so upset. It was like, no, I'm not punishing you for being ill. I'm holding you accountable to not coming to your job. And I see things like that all the time when it comes to making plans with friends and then something so simple as that canceling. Obviously, there's always a reason if, you know, like it could be something major, it could be something small, but then you have to hold yourself accountable. If you don't show up to work, expect to get in trouble. If you don't want to get in trouble, then show up to fucking work. Or if you want to lose weight in a healthy manner, figure out the steps to get you there. Find the right nutritionist, the right trainer, maybe a doctor if you need to go deeper into it. Obviously, if there's health issues that are keeping a regular diet and exercise plan, you know, like you have to find the tiny details, line them up and not drop the ball. And if you drop the ball, then you have to be okay with the setback. And it's just something I don't see a ton of in, I hate to say, cause I am a millennial, but I see it a ton in millennials. Mom and dad will take care of it. Oh, it's okay. I didn't really want to work there anyways, or it's okay. I didn't really like her anyways. <laughs> I'm like, you guys, what quality of life is this? Like you want to be a millionaire, then you got to work your ass off and study hard and get those degrees and earn those skills to get you to the point where you own a company and you are a CEO and you sell that baby, you know, or if you want to buy a home, then you got to save the money in a smart way to buy a home. You know, like we can break it down to things that simple, like you want to meet somebody, well then get your ass off the couch and go out there. Now, Obviously, like I have a beautiful, happy family. I'm not a single person in the world today. I have no idea what a dating app is. I never used one. They weren't around when I met Dan. But like, you know, there's a lot of things that we like to complicate that don't need to be complicated. So when you say you're going to show up, show up. Do it for yourself before you do it for other people. Other people can hold you accountable, but you ultimately have the choice to be accountable so it really like lights me up inside and I really hold myself accountable to it as my own accountability as well. And not just in my job, but like there's things I would like to do that don't have anything to do with my current job and fitness or being a mom or being a wife. But right now I'm not holding myself accountable to maybe finding the space to do it. And so I take responsibility for that. I don't blame anybody else. I hold myself responsible and accountable for that. So um, no one's perfect. We all struggle. We all have learning curves, but it's like, do it, fail, maybe. Figure out the lessons from that failure. Okay, try again. So then as you start to pinpoint the right things, the stepping stones to the right place you're going, you're able to then not drop the ball. You're able to hold yourself accountable and not need that external source to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like many people, I mean, they don't understand what accountability is, why it's important or where, you know, where it even starts. I mean, maybe they understand accountability is important, but they don't know how to create the culture of accountability in their life. They kind of just like hope it happens. Like, I mean, I even, I even see it with clients or potential clients. It's like, 
accountability to me, it's not a one-time thing. It's not a sometimes thing. Like it's an all the time thing. And it's like the people who don't want to be accountable or held accountable seem to always be looking for opportunities to like get out of shit. You need to be seen as being accountable at all times. In my opinion, that's it. And I'm always just curious with you specifically, like, is that the most frustrating thing working in the, in the industry that you work in? Is it, is it the fact of people not showing up? Yes and no. I don't know, obviously, because I am the leader of the group, you know, so I can only get so I'm, and it's a group fitness environment as much as I do have personal relationships with our clients, whether it just be like knowing their goals or we talk casually, or I know I've known them for years. I know everybody's working towards a goal, but I don't know the specifics. So I don't know what this person's life is like at home. I don't know what their jobs are like. I don't know what ultimately even their goals are. I know they're coming in and they're working out for an hour, but I do know that the intention to work out generally speaking, to go to a class like that, to invest that kind of money in an hour of work is stemmed around some sort of change, whether that be physical, mental, emotional, whatever the fact is, we're all going there for something, a release from something, a change into something better, a change towards the next steps to something, a goal. And so when I do see people not show up, obviously it affects me, you know, trainers, incomes are based on that. So that's one thing that's always frustrating, but it's bigger than that. Like personally for me, like I've been in the business long enough that that side of it, as much as it can hold you down, really doesn't have anything to do with it. I get super invested in the room. As you can tell, I get sassy. Like if you want to know what I'm going to be like as a mom, come to my class, like honey, put the phone down. We're working, you know, like we don't stick around, but yeah, when people don't show up and you know, and I know for a fact that they have something they want and they're standing in their own way. They're not realizing that accountability starts with that. It doesn't start with me. I'm just a bystander. I get to like sit in the passenger seat while you drive the car. So when you don't show up, we're not going anywhere. We're at a standstill. And to me, that's frustrating. And I know some people who in the fitness industry like to just show up, do their job and leave. They think it's super fun. They find joy in it it's an escape from something else. But for me, like I invest and it's not a one-time thing. It has to start with the person. It applies not just to one person. It applies to everybody in that room. I held myself accountable to writing this perfect program. I mean, perfect. I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but I try. Perfectly imperfect. But I show up on time and I make sure the music's right. You know, like we, as the leaders of that room are holding ourselves accountable to those, holding ourselves accountable to that. So you can then use our platform that we laid out perfectly on a silver platter in front of you to then find your steps of accountability to get ahead to where you want to be. It's all a ladder. It's all a stepping stone and you can't buy it. You can't make the person next to you sprint faster so you can feel better. You have to pick up the weight, you know, and workout terms. You have to make the choice to hit those arrows on that treadmill or not, right? You have the choice, but the first one is showing up. And so we can use it as a metaphor for your life. Like you got to show up. If you don't show up, you're never going to be in the place where opportunity can happen, period. I mean, it's something that has to be worked at and it has to, there has to be a clear and a consistent choice 
and how you implement these tools or this accountability into your day-to-day life. And it starts with you and it has to be applied at all times and to everyone. Yeah. After I posted those things, I got so many DMs like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I didn't come today. Oh my God, I didn't wake up. And I was like, oh my God, you guys, like, who cares? That's that wasn't my point. I'm not like, I'm not, you know, shaking my finger at you, like shame on you. It was more like a call to action. I was like, girlfriend, how you went out last night? Good for you. I wish I was out last night. Like, I don't care. Like, truly, it doesn't affect it, you know, there's little to no effect on me. It's how it's affecting you. Yeah. And I mean, holding yourself accountable is empowering. You know, making the choice to show up for yourself is empowering and it makes you feel good. And all of those things then lead to a level of confidence that you can have in yourself. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm biased because confidence is my favorite thing to talk about, but you know, let's shift into that. What is it, what does it mean to you to be truly confident? Is it, does accountability tie into that? I mean, yeah. A little bit. Well, probably a lot if I could be honest, but like confidence for me, in my opinion, is feeling good in my current grounded state. Do I believe in my voice when I use it? Do I use my voice in a kind way? Do I believe that everything I'm doing is right for me and then right for the people around me? And so when you're struggling with work or when you're struggling with maybe isolation, or you're struggling with food, something simple like that, or you're struggling being a mom. And it's like, okay, so I'm not confident in this current state. Either I can make the choice to hold myself accountable to do better and to do what my girlfriends and I call the work to find what's right, to get me to that place of confidence and to have courage to seek it. Or am I going to make the choice to not? So to me, confidence is ultimately being proud and consistent in who you are, your voice and your power, because we all have it and it all can make an impact as we see very clearly in our society, very specific today. So yeah, I don't think I can define that because I think I work on it every day. I'm not perfect at it. And I definitely don't think I have as much confidence as I should and Sometimes I feel like, well, that just keeps me grounded. It keeps me working hard. And other times I think it holds me back. So I think it's something as you change and evolve every day, every year, every season of your life, that confidence has to change. As a mom, I've never done this before. Every day is some, is new. Like It's not like I go to work, I clock in, I'm really good at this. I clock out, I go home. Like There is no option. So I had to find confidence and kind of winging it and being a type A person who like doesn't fuck shit up and who says yes to people and who looks good, sounds good, does good. It was like, oh my God, like what? Like, how am I supposed to function? How is this going to happen? And it's been like such a healing thing. Like I have to find confidence that I know my kid better than anybody. I know how to be my version of a mother better than anybody else. I'm the expert on mothering Arthur Kester. And so I had to find confidence in that and knowing when to take help, when to seek help, when to refuse help. And yeah, so like, I think that has really allowed me to find confidence in my current season, in my current state was just becoming a mom. 
Like who knew? You know, I was going to say like within all of your accomplishments thus far, like what do you feel most confident about? But then as you're speaking, I'm like, it's got, I mean, I'm sure it has to a lot to do with being a mom. It's got to give you a giant sense of confidence because like you said, you've never done this before. You kind of get to write the book yourself, you know, and I mean, major, major props to you because he's amazing and you can see that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, obviously you have your personal life and you have your work life and then you have your social life when it comes to accomplishments. And I've had big ones in all of those facets. Um, I've had big dance moments, whether they are large or small, they were big and brought me amazing, an amazing sense of accomplishment. Like I danced with Kanye West, like that was so cool. I experienced it. I got to see what that life was like. I never did it again, but that was cool. It was a long time ago. So when I talk about it, I'm like, oh, it was like 2011. Like, oh my God, that was pre-Kim. But like, that was really cool. And, you know, like I filmed fitness DVDs with Men's and Women's Health magazine. Like that was really cool. And I never did it again, but I did it. And that was so great. And I got to see different parts of myself in those big moments that I carry with me. And now I never thought as a struggling artist that I would ever, one, really get married, own a home, <laughs> like have a paycheck, you know, and like become a mom when you're an artist, you have like 700 jobs and you do things for free. And like, here I am, you know? So it's like, there's so many big things, whether they be in your professional life or in your personal life that when they happen, you have to sit and live in them or they're going to leave you quick. And you're going to think about, oh, that one time. No, like you got to say like, yeah, that one time I did that. And that I think helps with confidence and like having those moments that were a little scary. And like, I was uncertain about what it was like to dance on a stage in front of 125,000 people. And I was unsure what my voice would sound like or my body would look like on camera. And then I was unsure what it was going to be like to have a baby. Like, oh my God, create a human and keep it alive. Like you want me to what? And you know, like I've done it. I did it. And here I am. I'm still living. I'm still standing on my own two feet. I still ask for help, but like, goddamn, feels pretty good. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. What are some things that you do for yourself when you realize that that level of self-confidence or body confidence or whatever we want to call it is, is feeling lower than normal or what you would call your normal. So I kind of like reference that as to feeling like shame. That's the Brene Brown obsessed like that I am. She talks about shame a lot. And she recently said something that was like, it was about parenting and it was like, it really lived with me strong. And it's like when your kid is feeling shame, something bad happened and they're dark and they're sit, they're in the dark. She said, they're sitting in the dark. The best thing you can do is sit in the dark with them instead of turn the light on, you know, they can turn the light on themselves, but the fact that they know you're there is so valuable. So when I feel myself falling, I make the choice to pull someone in with me. So I'm not alone. And so I have that relationship with my best girlfriends, with my family, and of course with my husband. So I use my characteristic of vulnerability to work in my favor. Sometimes they want to help. They want to find the solution, but other times they just get to, they sit and they let me talk and they kind of let me get to my own solution because I've done the work and I have the tools and I'm still in progress. I am a 
perfectionist that's recovering. Like I am, I have that in progress light on right now all the time, but I find that when you feel a little off track, the best thing you can do is take a moment, like actually take a moment, step back and say, and accept that maybe I need help. Maybe I should just bounce this off somebody. Maybe I need to not do that. You know, like I think the more we can get off the train because the train is always going, the better we're going to be at getting back on our feet. Oh, you could see me. I have like my hands on my heart right now. That was amazing. I really, I love that. It's so important to not go through shit alone, go through the deep end alone. Like, I love that that is something that you do for yourself and recognize that that is helpful to you and beneficial. And that was beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. So, you know, this little Spitfire interview is the way that I end all of these conversations. It's just a way for us to like unfilter shit a bit. I mean, the real goal is to just keep it real, which, which you already do. So when I ask the question, just give me what first comes to mind, like no judgment, doesn't matter. But yeah, so how would you describe the feeling of being in love with yourself in one word? Oh my God. I don't even, I don't even know because I don't think I've ever felt it. I think it would feel free if I could give it a word. When I feel it, I'm hoping I'll feel free. Oh, love that. What title would you give this chapter of your life? What the fuck? Question mark. (laughs) That's unreal. I would read that in one second. Um, what really gets you excited? Being with my husband. Like we're never together. So when I see him and I can like sit with him, it brings me so much joy. What is one weakness that you'd actively like to improve upon? Self-deprecation. Powerful. What is something that you take for granted? My life. Don't we all? I don't think we, yeah, I don't think any of us, and obviously there may be some special few, but I don't think we really realize that it doesn't last forever. What are three things that you absolutely love about yourself? And I'm actually excited to ask you this question because I can't wait to hear your answers. Um, My hair. Mm, Yeah, you have great hair. My no bullshit attitude. Hell yeah. And my ability to love hard. Oh, yes. Those fucking rock. Okay. And to wrap it up with my, I mean, I'm biased, but my, my last and favorite question, how would you define your inner babe? My inner babe is a work in progress. Who's not afraid to fail in the pursuit of success of ultimate self love. Oh, I mean, I need that like framed. I don't even know what I just said. I kind of blacked out. So I need Oh my to- God. I can't wait for you to hear it back because that was so fucking awesome. You're awesome. Thank you, Holly, for being Thank here. Thank you. Such a pleasure. I absolutely loved having you. And thank you all for listening. I'll see you back next week for another episode. But just remember that your inner babe, you already have her. So just keep tuning in to find her and I promise we will set that bitch free.
This episode was produced by Dante32.